Hi, and welcome to the Burlap Podcast. My name is Chris Fomsby. I'm the president of Burlap. I'm looking forward to this podcast with you. In just a moment, I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine and a colleague, one of our Burlap consultants and trainers and content contributors. But I just want to let you know that today's podcast is about generational differences. We're going to talk about young adults in the church. I'm going to ask my guest, Chris Abel. I'm going to ask him three pieces of advice that he would give any church leader that wants to reach and engage millennials. And then we're going to talk about what it looks like and what it feels like and what it means to have healthy conversations, given the fact that we have these generational differences and that there are conversations that are sometimes difficult. So we're going to talk about that. So I want to introduce you to Chris Abel. I already mentioned a little bit about him. He is a contract. He is a content, excuse me, contributor to us at Burlap, right? Some of our blog posts, and it's also going to be helping us consult and do some training. And it's a pleasure because I get to work with Chris every day at our church. And beyond that, um, Chris is just an all-around great guy. So welcome, Chris. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And, uh, you know, my name is Chris Abel. And again, we're Chris and Chris, so this is going to get a little confusing, but uh, I'm the younger Chris, so that works. (laughs) Uh, I'm millennial and you're... Are you Gen X? Gen X, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, I'm the young adult pastor at our church and I've been doing this for a little under a year. But before then, I was a uh, a campus pastor. I launched a campus for uh, a multi-site church in St. Louis. And uh, so I've gotten some experience reaching young adults, young families, different generations, and uh, doing some really creative experimental stuff. So we're just trying to bring some of that, uh, some, some of those experiences for other people to uh, to learn from too. It's really great to be here. I'm grateful that you're here with us and look forward to what you contribute as we continue this podcast in the days ahead. Give me a little bit of what you're learning these days. Let's just jump right in. What are you learning about young adults in the church? I mean, we're always going to talk about millennials. We're always going to talk about Generation Z. We're always going to talk about the church. But today's specific excuse me, focus is on generational differences. But what are some of the things you're learning, hearing, stories? What's going on out there between young adults and the church? Yeah, so... There's, there's so much contextual stuff happening in the world today. And uh, one of the things I think um, is that there's this there's stereotypes for different generations. You know, the, the, the boomers, older generations, are look, kind of look down and patronize the younger generations. Younger generations, uh, you know, we don't show a lot of respect towards older generations, partly because we look around and see the state of the world, and partly because we don't receive respect, and so we don't give respect. And so then it becomes this cycle, and then there becomes more and more tension between things. But... You know, there are churches who are reaching millennials and statistics show that, you know, people in their 20s and 30s are still interested in God, who still believe in God. They just don't find the church relevant. And so uh, one of the biggest issues in churches today and going forward is I really do think going to be generational differences. So give me an example of what that means. I mean, you've done a good job explaining some some of the broader sort of ways we might understand that but like do you have a story recently of where you've seen that take place oh man so yeah this is this is a good one um i had uh i i've 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 took over this young adult ministry in july and so it's been eight months almost eight months and so we've uh we've brought this ministry from just a handful of people to like a thriving community now and uh, what i find is that you know the church honestly it doesn't um it doesn't bring millennial level uh, stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know how to put it into words. Like worship, graphics, style, design, architecture. Nothing's really modern. 
Like everything's just like a little, it's meant for a previous generation. And yet millennials still show up. The ones that we have are still there. And it's, it's, it's very little work to get a millennial to get plugged in. Meaning it has to be a personal relationship. They have to feel cared for. They have to feel invested in. And, uh, and so we've had some success recently and it's because uh, I take time to personally invest in millennial and our pastor mentions young adults all the time. He, we're building a new sanctuary and young adults are consistently mentioned. So I think there's some, uh, some, uh, communication that shows like, we want you here. You're supposed to be here. We're doing this for the younger generation. What I found that the hardest part is. You can't force a community of older people to care about the younger generation. And so the biggest roadblock is you can't legislate, you can't force, you can't convince or control people to in, to care, to invest, to want to reach a next generation. Now, they know they're getting older. They don't want that to happen. If they could, I bet you know, a lot of congregations would just click their, you know, snap their fingers and reverse the age of their congregation without changing anything. They just want to be younger. And so sometimes it's almost an idol of wanting to reach younger people. Right. That's true. But really at the core of it is um, it's the biggest thing I found that makes a difference is does a church actually care about younger generations or are they threatened by younger generations? So this last week uh, there was someone at the church who's uh, probably in his late sixties, early seventies, something like that. And I won't name names, but you know, I was telling him, I said, you know, baby boomers, I'm just finding a lot of people around here. They just, they're more threatened by millennials than invested in them. And he's like, of course we are. And I said, well, why? <laughs> you don't have to be threatened. I mean, are you threatened by your grandkids? And here I was thinking that he was going to be, uh, you know, he was going to fall into my, 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 my trap and say, like, I love my grand. I want to invest in them. And he was like, no, my grandkids hate me. They're, you know, I don't understand <laughs> them. Not true, but they don't understand me. They just want to talk about video games. I don't want to talk about video games. I don't know anything about that. And I, I was just, I, I felt like my jaw hung open because it was, it's a really perfect example of, you know, of these, of like every generation wants to feel that they're important. And so with a focus shifting to the younger generation, what ends up happening, I think is sometimes older generations get threatened and feel like it's not about, they get, their feelings are involved. You know, it's. So do you think that's why the CIA director blamed millennials for WikiLeaks? Oh my gosh. Did you hear about that? I did hear about that. So um, that happened this last week. Yeah. So I don't even – let's see. It was – what was his name again? Um, I don't even have his name. We'll add that later. Yeah. Um, but here – I actually have a quote from him. He said, I don't mean to judge them all, but this group of millennials and related groups simply have different understandings of the word loyalty, secrecy, and transparency than certainly my generation did. Can you, yeah. like, it's like dripping with sarcasm. Yeah, sure it is. Well, that's kind of what you were alluding to earlier with the, you know, generational differences and the tension that's created. I mean, think about it, though. Who else is he going to blame? I mean, is he going to just blame his peers? I mean, there's too much on the line when you do that. So who are you going to blame? You're going to blame everyone who's already been blamed for most of the stuff that happens, which is this stereotypical generation that is different than what we know and because it's different we just allow them to be bashed and i think that happens a lot yeah now i think there's plenty of millennials out there who are maybe living into some of the stereotypes that's kind of how it works right with every generation but but with particularly though i've noticed and i, and I didn't study the the cia directors but when you read the quote i'm like gosh like that is just crazy that somebody be that pointed about and and, and broad sweeping about 
a generation in particular, these millennials. I think that's a dangerous way to look at the world in general, but especially when we're trying to figure out how do we create some unity? How do we come together for conversation? And it's certainly not going to happen when people make those kind of assumptions and accusations, and not just in the church, but in everyday life, and we're seeing it. Yeah, and you know, you're right about it being an easy target. You know, just blame the, the young folks. And part of that is so you can make the logic of when it comes to WikiLeaks, um, well, you know, this hasn't really happened before in this kind of scope. Well, the, you know, the truth is the new thing is this new generation is one category. Another one is that technology like this has never existed. You just have files sitting on a database. Like the reason it hasn't leaked before is because you'd have to steal file cabinets in the past, right? Like you're not going to send huge shipments, <laughs> cargo shipments of files overseas or release them to the world. We're going to send them to the public but, libraries. Well, we've been storing files on hard drives for a while. Though. Okay. I mean, it's okay. not exactly like, you know, <laughs> like in the last three years or something, the last five years we did away with filing cabinets. I mean, it's been, you know, I've it's heard been the, decades since we've been filing. All right. You know, I'll relent on that one. Okay. But I, I think it's an easy, you're, you're still right that they're an easy, um, an easy target to blame. Um, but I think we do the same thing in churches, right? Like, yeah. We, we have changing technology, we have a changing world, and rather than point to the fact that things just change, we point to a generation. Oh, you know, they don't like our music. So if you were a lead pastor or a, a leader at a church that was overseeing a particular segment, maybe young adults, or maybe um, you're just, yeah, you're you're just trying to figure out, well, where do we go from here? Because, I mean... Nobody really likes to see these differences. I mean, I don't know any, not one person do I know that thrives on the differences. Like, I think it comes out because we're human. I think we're scared. We're fearful. We're like, our church is in decline. You know, we can't understand this generation or we read one thing about it and the next day we read something else. And so there's all this different, these differing opinions out there on the mindsets. And, you know, Burlap's done a lot of work helping churches with the mindsets and we have this survey where we help churches identify within their congregation the the prevailing mindsets or the lenses in which people view everything from God to social media to the church. But if you were to say these, there's two or three things could really help. I mean, you've identified them, one of them already. So I'll, I'll say I'll ask you three, but give you one. Yeah. I'll give you one. And that one was you talked about our lead pastor at our church. Uh, who is talking to millennials and with millennials a lot, you know, and, and really active in Generation Z as well. I mean, it's it's kind of a personal story, but right after my uh, my uh, son was confirmed, the first thing he wanted to do was go out into the narthex and celebrate with his lead pastor. So we went out there, and there was our pastor, and he was willing to take a photo and spend some time, ask my son some questions. And, you know, for my son to to do that says a lot about not just the environment of our church, but who our pastor is, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but, so that's one. I'm, I'm asking you give three. I'm giving you one. And that is our, our pastor cares. He, he is communicative on purpose about not just talking to millennials, but talking to the congregation about the importance of reaching millennials. So what are the other two tips, if you will, that you would give someone in a position of leadership who's looking to expand their, their ministry to Generation Z and millennials? Yeah. I'd say it's really easy. Tip number two would be don't fall into the blame game. Yeah. Because if you get resentful or let bitterness kind of seep its way into your heart, um, it's going to steal energy from any generation, let alone the ones you have and the ones you're trying to reach. 
And so I think what happens sometimes is churches blame for millennials for not being there or they get resentful. Like, well, why aren't they here? Well, they, they're just an ungrateful generation, right? And that's a coping mechanism. That's saying I'm, I'm hurt. I'm disappointed. I don't know why they're here. I don't know if I did something wrong. I don't know if they just don't like my preferences. You know, all that is an, that's an emotional reaction. That's saying like, oh man, I wish they were here and they're not. And that says something about how they view me and my service. And so if you react emotionally, uh, you're going to take it, you're going to take it more personally than it's meant to be. You know, millennials aren't trying yeah, to Yeah, but it's people. really hard to tell a pastor or a church in general, just to say we're, we have a, uh, we're sitting in front of a church council and they're listening to us, you know, ramble on about millennials. It'd be really, I think difficult for to to say to somebody uh don't take it personal when their whole life has been spent trying to build uh, a church or um serve god and 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 try to live out kingdom values i mean i would take that personal not maybe be offended by it to say i think would take it personal might not be true but i would not be or it might it probably would be true but i wouldn't be easily offended and i think that's the difference is the difference between maybe taking things personally and then letting it offend us. And that's where mm-hmm. the bitterness I think creeps in that you're referring to. But I, I, I go, okay, so what if you are in, in, uh, I think in cooperation with that thinking, what if you are in a place where you just, you maybe are not just taking offense or find that it hits you personally. What if you just don't know what to do next? Yeah. Like, I think that's a lot of the people, a lot of the leaders that I talk to are like, I'm willing to change. I'm, I, at least I think I'm willing to change. I'll adapt. The problem is when they get honest with me, it's like, Chris, I don't know what to do. I literally don't know what to try. Mm -hmm. So what would you tell somebody in that situation? Well, I, you know, my question, I would ask a lot of questions. And one of them would be, you know, are you, are you spending any time with millennials? You know, most churches have access to them. Um, you know, as someone who's planted a campus for a church and is growing, kind of reinvigorating a ministry, it requires, it doesn't matter how big your church is or how small your church is, uh, you build a ministry one person at a time. Sometimes you get a couple, right? <laughs> Sometimes yeah. you, you get two at a time. But um, it, I, I, I think the first thing you have to do is actually know some millennials and so maybe you have a few in your church maybe you have a a bunch but do you actually know any do you have them over do you have dinner with them do you get to know their lives do you ask questions about them do you ask them their preferences you know it's not a one size fits all as you know you're really uh, as you're really familiar with we have millennial segmentation data that not all millennials are the same it's more of a one size fits one kind of world yes i mean honestly yeah. and what they're saying is that millennials are turning away from church i was just reading some statistics this week that said millennials are turning away from church because this generation is more individualistic than ever before and that's not a, a slam that's just showing that like people are very they're very individualistic they're very you they're very unique mm-hmm. you know people choose and build their lives unique to who they are and what their preferences are whereas church is designed around you know having a lot of people who like the same thing or who agree to the same thing. And so that's just not the world anymore. We have a world of just so much diversity, not only of just the kinds of people and traits out there, but of opinions and preferences. And so, you know, the idea of church is to come together. Well, one thing where, you know, you can have individualism is you in community. If you celebrate the, the unique nature of every person in your community, community, you know, on a personal level, not just like a, 
So, yeah, so the three things then that you would say, I gave you the first one, right, care and communication and and communicating that you care, right, to not just to millennials but to the congregation as a whole. Make yeah. it a value, in other communication. words, right? Yeah, Make it a to. value. So communication. And then you talked uh, about the concept really around um, defensiveness, defensiveness or, taking yeah. things personal, and I almost forgot it there for a minute, so thanks for yeah. reminding me. But And then lastly, you would say what? You would say that, it's relationship. It's all about relationship. You got to mm-hmm. know some, so that's good. I, I think to your point about, um, to your point about the differences. Since today's topic or theme is all about generational differences, you know, I was uh, reading Pew some research from Pew research uh, just came through my Twitter feed and and I clicked on it and I read. And on March 20, they posted it. If you, people out there want to go and look on pewresearch.com or whatever their domain is. But you can see on March 20, they posted this generational differences in politics. Now, this theme, is this topic is not about politics. I'm not here to talk about politics today. We may one day, but not today. But what I did learn from this study was that Xers and millennials and boomers and the silent generation – as they understand politics and live into the politics, right? Which matter to everybody, right? Polis, city, right? It matters to everyone. So millennials and Xers are leaning and moving towards the left, and boomers and the silent generation are leaning and moving towards the right. And it dawned on me that that's probably true in other areas. Now, I'm making some assumptions there because I didn't see any data related to things like you know, uh, sociology, education, and these other issues. Uh, But I can sort of take what I read and say, okay, if we extrapolated this based on what we're seeing every day in church life, but just in general, and you referenced the CIA director blaming millennials for WikiLeaks, I go, that means that we have a responsibility as church leaders to bring people together and create healthy dialogue. And so I think one of the things I want to leave our listeners with today is just five basic but I think very healthy ways that we can communicate to try to not eliminate the differences because I don't think it's about eliminating the differences. No, it's not. I think it's about finding room to have conversations around the differences So and, and just respecting people, right? So I think the first thing is that I learned a long time ago, and I, by the way, I'm not like Mr. Conversational or anything like I love having conversations but I'm learning this stuff I'm like not the best at it right but here's one of the things I learned is and I would say as a tip to anybody listening it would be talk last you know let somebody talk before you right if you're coming into the conversation with like this on the edge of your seat you got to talk first and you might want to take a deep breath take a step back and say you know what why don't you talk first? Giving somebody the opportunity yeah. to speak first just says, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm not just going to say what I think and then bolt. I want to have a true conversation. And I think that's a key. Can I, can yeah, I add on to that absolutely. real quick? So somebody was telling me, I was, I was mentioning, we have a policy at our church where they're trying to get one-third of all committee members to be under 30, right? Or 35 maybe. Under 35. I can't remember what it is. But so it's, trying to get, it's a great idea. I mean, it's a great idea. And so I said, well, isn't, you know, I was talking to someone. I said, isn't that great? And, uh, and, and, and then uh, a friend of mine who was, on, who was on one of the committees, he said, well, actually, you know, they don't really let us talk that much. And I'm like, you're kidding. 
And he said, no, you know, it's these, it's these like professional middle-aged white guys who have been really <laughs> successful and like take charge and are yeah. used to being the leaders. And of course they have an opinion and then they, they just talk and they make decisions. And then, you know, and then after they've kind of plowed through the whole meeting, then they ask the millennial their thought. And at that point they're like, well, I'm just kind of an afterthought. Yeah. I don't want to stir the pot now. Yeah. And so I just thought that was well, really interesting. No, so interesting. talk last yeah, night. Talk last. I mean, I think one of the best things we can do to create a posture where healthy conversation can exist and thrive is talk last. But the second thing is, and this bothers me sometimes. And when I'm talking to folks, it's like, you gotta be willing to admit what you don't know. Mm. And sometimes it's like, if I admit that I don't know something, somehow I'm showing some kind of weakness, like, and then I can be conquered or like, you're going to win this it's not, it's not about winning anything. It's like, what, what is this, a wrestling match? I mean, we're just having a conversation, right? So I think that talking last and admitting what we don't know, um, and, and the same, and I guess number three is kind of progressive out, you know, or flows out of two, and that would be that we're all unfinished people. So let mm. people have a current thinking, right? Not a formed, finished thinking, but an unfinished thinking. So if you talk last, you admit you don't, you don't know everything. And then if you kind of see people as unfinished, you kind of – I mean I think it's okay to accept the phrase, well, currently I feel this way. And you know, one of the things I respect about people is when they can say, well, currently I think this, but that might evolve into something else. I mean, I know a lot of pastors, since this is a a podcast that a lot of pastors will listen to, you know, and church leaders who have changed their mind on things. Mm -hmm. They used to think this, but the more they studied it or the way that they applied the theology, for for example, in everyday life just didn't seem to, you know, work for them. It was like I learned this in seminary, but once I got to pastoring, actually, I kind of changed my mind on some of this stuff. And I just think that's an important value that, you know, don't hold people. Well, you know, last year you said this. Well, okay. Well, I think differently now. And I think there's got to be some any, room in there. Do you have any big regrets you want to admit? In terms of like how I've done that? changed? Yeah. I mean, I've changed on a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like there are some things early on in my ministry career that I thought were like absolutely essential things that like, you know, I grew up in a really conservative traditional environment where women in ministry was kind of frowned upon Mm. it was like you know you didn't you kind of made room for conversations but the idea of it actually happening was probably like never going to happen but let's like placate towards it let's just kind of you know make people think it's going to happen and like now i mean i have a daughter who's 17 who wants to go into ministry and if i would have known that now or if i'd have known you know if i if i'd have felt what i feel now when i have conversations with my daughter about vocational ministry as a worship leader then I w- it would have changed my mind yeah. right? completely. I would have said, no, we need to – and not only would it have changed my mind, I think I would have taken action to see it more real then than I do today. Uh, so that's just a s- small example, I think. But I, you know, I think that's just a really key value is like, you know we're what? not done here. A humble leader is a super attractive trait. It really is. People, I feel like, you know, I'm 33 and my whole life I've seen these super cocky religious leaders get on TV – and have no doubts, have no ambiguity, have no gray area, and I just it feels so un like just unauthentic. Yeah, and I, I feel like- well. One day we're going to talk about, and maybe this will be our next podcast because yeah. when you say that, like I also see a lot of young people flocking to what I would call sort of a neo reform tradition. Oh boy, right, like a tradition that is 
um, you know, I, w- I don't have any ill feelings about it. I just think man, that you go to this particular church. I'm not going to name the church that's here in town or there's several churches like it actually in town. It's like you get black and white. Like there's no gray. It's like it's black and white. And so one of these days we'll talk about that because I do think, though, that there's a lot of people out there saying, well, particularly Generation Z, millennials maybe, but the research we're seeing on Generation Z is that in the extremes is where they think they can make the most difference in the world, which is the opposite of Mm. millennials thinking, which is, no, let's go towards the middle here. So I think we're going to have some shifting there. But all that to say is like we need to talk about what you just said because there's a lot of, at least I see, these young thriving churches full of young people whose pastor or let's just say lead teacher mm-hmm. is up there giving it to them, man. I mean, they're preaching their hearts out. I don't want to judge them, but at the same time, I'm like, dude, man, relax. Like, <laughs> you know, like these are people you're talking to, you yeah. know? And so, and I don't want to be mean. I, I don't, like I said, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but at the same time, like, why are people attracted to that? If being humble and being, okay with the gray if you will is a good thing then why are so many young people going yeah no, i want to go someplace where i can be like told yeah. the way it is you know i i think we i think i've got okay. some ideas okay about. We all can right save well it. let's we save that for that. another time so, so that was the third all right well let me go on to number yeah. four which i think is uh sarcasm is usually not very helpful in those conversations you know like and by sarcasm i don't mean humor I mean humor at somebody's expense, right? So, like, I was in a conversation the other day. We were sitting at a coffee shop, and it was pretty It was pretty intense because I had been asked to mediate a situation between a grandson and a grandmother, right? Really? And so I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting. And I know them both. I know them both very well. This um, woman, this grandmother, was has come to several of my classes that I teach and, you know, throughout the course of the year. And I know the grandson pretty well. Played golf with him a few times and just had a ball. But, you know, the thing that I eventually when grandma went up to use the restroom, I had to lean over to the grandson and say, dude, you got to be more respectful. The conversation is not going to be helpful if you talk out the corners of your mouth, say things under your breath and say sarcasm and create these jokes that I understand barely. But your grandmother doesn't doesn't understand them. And like, that's not helpful. And I would say the same thing, not just about this young millennial saying things the other way, right? I would say that there's oftentimes I've been in meetings where it's like, you know, well, of course it's that way because it's generation, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, those kind of remarks just aren't helpful. I'm all for humor. Yeah. I'm all for having a ball. But like, come on, man. Like at some point we got to just tone that down so that the conversation can be the thing that thrives, not look at me and not joke telling. You know, I've heard that this is a little different, but in a, sometimes in a a relationship will reach a stage. Uh, my grand, my grandfather actually, and his, his girlfriend, my grandma died a few years ago and his girlfriend have finally reached the stage, the power struggle stage. I think psychologists have really like Uh have found this. And this is where you figure out like who's got what power in the relationship. And so you test each other's limits to see like, you know, kind of emotionally like where things are at. And so it just sounds funny because it sounds like that grandkid in the conversation was using sarcasm as a power power grab of mm-hmm. saying like, yeah. oh, I, I'm not really that invested in this right. because here's a sarcastic yeah. thing. It, it, it like frees him from, right. um, you know, the, the responsibility of yeah. like kind of maybe he's not in the position of power here. It's just, right. it's just interesting. Sorry. I probably no, dug into no, that too much. I, but I think that's good. I, I think I, the same thing happens with generations. There's yeah. absolutely a power struggle. 
You know, the last thing I'm going to say about healthy conversations as it relates to young adults, emerging generations, and the church, particularly the differences we see in generations, is I don't think it's healthy to compare generations. Like when people say, well, when I was your age, or when they say something like, well, 20 years ago, or when they say, you'd never get away with that in my day. You know, I find myself saying that to my kids, right, sometimes, because it's like, Sometimes you run out of words with kids. Like you don't have kids yet, but one day you're going to learn this, bro. If you have kids, it like you run out of words. You like are so exasperated. You just say whatever's on the top of your mind because you're like, what else can I say? Yeah, dad. it's like it's a, no, you don't no, you don't want to hear me unfiltered. That's for sure. But it's like sometimes I'll say things like, well, I would, you know, if you would have said that, if I would have said that to my dad, man, it'd have been over. And he, my son's like, okay, but. I see Poppy like once a year and he's such a nice and mild guy. This like doesn't real, it, you know, it doesn't connect with them. And, yeah. I, and that's a, that's a, maybe a, just a, a tiny snapshot. It. But I just think it's more helpful to say, here's what we know currently about the way the culture is. And yes, there's differences because and particularly in the church, you know, our friend Hayden Shaw talks about how there's five generations living in the church. Mm-hmm. You're going to have differences. You're going to have comparing, but minimize it, you know, minimize the comparisons and just let people be who they are. And by saying things like I just said before, like 20 years ago, this 20 years ago, that it's like they weren't there. They don't care, you know, and just like I would say for a millennial and Gen Z, I'd say, you know, to say things like, well, you know, have no idea like your file comment, dude, like, you know, the filing cabinets in the wiki back in the WikiLeaks conversations. <laughs> like, well, come on, we've been storing files on hard drives for a long time. You make it seem like these antiquated people. Now, I'm not even a boomer. I'm an Xer, <laughs> but I'm just saying like it goes both ways. Right. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that before we cl- conclude for for the for the I podcast. A, but I have a perfect example of it. So uh, I did a panel for Staff Chapel and brought in a bunch of young adults. And one of the, the, the concepts that came up was of simplicity, uh, of a minimalism, that we just, we've seen a generation go after money a lot and seen it doesn't really lead to happiness. And so we're buying experiences instead of things a lot more. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in And data. by we, you mean millennials, yeah, right? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and this woman came up to me afterwards, and she's probably in her 60s, and she came up to me and she said, yeah, we had, we had that minimalism thing uh, when, I was, was out, when I was young. It was called being poor. And I, I just – I want to be like, no. Right. No, you don't, you don't understand. Right. We're not saying like we're poor and it's cool. No, we're saying even if we have money, we're not going to spend it that way. Yeah. But it was just funny because there was no sense of – um, li- like her listening to, to name back, you know, number, number two or number three or whatever yeah. one, there was just this sense of like, well, my generation had that too. Yeah. You know, it was just a comparison kind of, yeah. and, and just the spirit she brought to that conversation was one where I was like, oh man, like, I don't, I don't feel welcome in this conversation. Well, this has been fun. I, I think it's, uh, you know, going to be a, uh, just a blast over the next couple of episodes to hang out with you and have some more conversation. I want to invite anybody uh, to go to thinkburlap.com. We can resource you with all kinds of great stuff. We got ebooks there. We got workshops there. Uh, some of our survey tools are up there, and you can kind of just go. You know, it's just like any other website. Just find a contact, and we can help try to help you the best we can. But our heart is really having these conversations in order that we might be able to help churches reach and engage millennials. 
You know, we, we are not thrilled with the, the numbers that we see, the stats, and it breaks our heart. You know, I know for me personally how much value having a faith community is. And so while I don't judge people who aren't a part of a faith community, at the same time, they go, man, you're really missing out on something special here. Yeah. And I want to see that, that, that narrative of decline reversed. And so when we started Burlap, that was one of the things we wanted to do was tell a new story, a story of vibrancy and growth. So that's what we're trying to do through this podcast. That's what we're trying to do through the resources that we create, the blog posts, the training workshops, the videos, all those kinds of things. So go to thinkburlap.com, check us out, and uh, we'll be back with you in a couple weeks for another podcast. Thanks.